Hello friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And you join us in the penultimate episode, the second to last episode in season five, where we've been working together through the book of Exodus. Tomorrow will be the last episode, and then we'll take a few days break from the actual main project, because I don't like to launch off on a new season in the middle of the week, and we'll launch off on Monday. But in the couple of days in between, I'll post a few bonus episodes of the type of material that I put on the Patreon pages. Stuff related to the talks, the discussions, and the presentations that I give in secular environments, where I try to go into places where you wouldn't normally expect a Christian input, and I go and have a discussion or give a talk. And one of the things that I do is once every three weeks, I attend a psychology study and discussion group, and I'm going to give you some background and information, and also a Bible study, taking one of the theories of a famous psychologist called Jean Paget, and suggesting that it does nothing more than reveal a principle first described for us, actually, in the book of Genesis. So I hope you find that a little bit different and interesting, and it'll give you an an idea of the sort of things I'm doing on Patreon for those people who've made the decision to help support this ministry and enable it to be free on all the main platforms. Anyway, with that said, we're going to kick off today in our studies together in Exodus, and I've called today's episode The Cost of Building a Relationship with God. So with that said, we'll drop into the main text and I'll see you at the back end. Bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, today we're covering a shorter passage than we've been doing recently. Certainly, we're just going to look at 10 verses, Exodus 38 verse 21 to the end of the chapter. We've only got a couple more episodes to go at most in our study together in Exodus. Now, just to give you a little insight into my personality, when I used to work on financial services, I realized I had what was called a low attitude to risk. And I think that applies in other areas of my life, particularly when it comes to money. Anytime I need something repaired, for example, I always have two questions. How much is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? I want to get to know the cost, particularly when it comes to something like a car, before I commit to getting the car fixed or repaired. I think it's just in my DNA. It's the way God created me to be wary. But in defense of that, I would say, because I do feel it is important to have stewardship of God's money and money wasted is money that could have been used in so many ways to help build God's kingdom here on earth. Now, today we're looking at this and we've been talking about this very issue when we've been looking at the construction of the tabernacle. And I just led to wondering when looking at this passage, because it gives us some really specific figures, I wondered in today's money how much it would cost to build this thing that they're building. Or how much, a better way to say it is, did they choose to spend? I mean, if you're going to put gold and silver and bronze and fine acacia wood and all these fine linen materials... Well, it sounds expensive, doesn't it? I guess the labour has all been done for free because it was volunteers. But what would it cost? What did it cost then and what what is that worth in today's money? 
Well, it seems to me that Moses was also interested in that question as well, because he gives us not just the blueprint, but now he's going to talk about the actual construction, and he tells us all the things by giving us the price, or perhaps a better way of describing it is the value of everything. So would you like to know how much the tabernacle cost? Well, this text today will tell us. But I think it's reasonable to ask us, what is the spiritual benefit of this? What is it we need to know out of this? Why is it even in the Bible? It must have a spiritual application. What can we learn from pricing, if you like, the tabernacle? Well, I believe we can learn something and we can learn something very important. You'd expect me to say that, wouldn't you? But with that in mind, turn to me to Exodus chapter 38 and I'm going to beginning to read at verse 21. And I really do believe that this is one of those passages which on the surface looks like nothing, might even seem boring to some people, but there's gold not only within the text itself, but in the spiritual message that lies within it. So it's worth listening to today. Verse 38, 21 tells us, This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandments of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. So note, this is Aaron's son here. Now let's stop right there and go through this bit by bit. The first thing he tells us is that there are going to be three men. We're going to see three men called to work in this tabernacle. And he's going to describe the value and the quality of the materials that are used. But at this point, he's just introducing the men, the first of the men. And this fellow here is a priest. We know that. But he's also one of Aaron's son. So he's a priest and he's the one that has been put in charge. He's the one responsible for the inventory of what's involved in the building of the tabernacle. So the materials are going to be laid out for us, and he is the one who's responsible for gathering all this information together. Now some have come to this passage and studied it and suggest that he doesn't do it by himself, and I think that's reasonable that there were others who helped. So therefore he was probably the director of the inventory, what we would today probably describe as a project manager. Anyway, verse 22, the next verse, gives us some additional information. Next guy. Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses, and with him was Aholoelab, the son of Ishamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a designer, and a weaver of blue and purple scarlet thread and fine linen. So this passage mentions that Baezael has now come on board to help and these other artisans are mentioned. So he's another director of this construction project and then Aloahab, he is described as an engraver. Now we think of it as an engraver, we think of probably quite a limited thing, but Bible experts who have studied this era say that this term had a much broader meaning then. It actually meant a sort of artisan or a craftsman would be a more accurate way of describing it. He would someone who would have a design background, we'd describe it in modern terms, which means that he would be part of the ones who drew up the plans, calculated the construction based on the basic instructions given. And it also says that he apparently had a wide range of craftsmanship abilities to him. He was a weaver, and it's said that he also dealt and worked with wood, metal, and cloth. So these opening verses are just telling us about these key people who are involved here. What we see is God has a task to do, 
so he raises up the people to do it. And for the tabernacle here, he calls and equips these initially these three men as leaders of this project. Now, I don't think this is what we would today call a committee. I think he, what happens here is God chooses individuals and he then calls other people to follow. And in my view, that's kind of the model we should use in our Christian life and Christian communities. I would prefer to call a group of people together and call them a team rather than a committee because the model that I see here would suggest that there should be one person in charge. One famous chancellor of a university here in the UK was famous for saying repeatedly, everything rises and falls on leadership. And that was his mantra for calling his department heads and leaders to account. You need to put the right person in the right position and then things have a chance of going well. Someone also once said, if you put the right person in the right position, you can sleep at night. But if you put the wrong person in the right position, you end up having to pray all night instead. I like that. The whole principle here, you've got to find the one person that fits the slot and can lead the project. And I think God raises up people to fit various slots in his work and in his plans and in the building of his communities and his kingdom. That person can and should have and call helpers so they can form a team. But I do believe that everybody needs to know who's in charge, the one who has ultimate responsibility and recruits the team. I think that's a much more satisfactory way of organising a place from a biblical perspective than the forming of endless committees that you sometimes see in some churches. Now I'm not opposed to committees altogether, I'm just telling you that I think biblically when God wants to do something he nominates, in fact he chooses, he calls an individual and then the team coalesce around him. All right, back to the text in 38, and things are getting interesting. Verse 24. All the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is the gold of offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So let's try and unpack this verse a little, because this is where we're discovering the value of all of this stuff going on. Remember, coined money didn't exist until the 8th century BC. This is written around 1500 BC. So this is written around 700 years before coined money has even appeared. So consequently, the unit used, the shekel, is actually referring to a measurement of weight. Maybe you thought it was a coin. It was not a coin. It was coin-shaped but it was a measure of weight, not quite half an ounce in today's terms. So, he's giving us the amount of gold used in terms of weight, not the actual price. So, we're told it's 29 talents and 730 shekels. So, they're not using the 1500 BC equivalent of pounds, shillings and pence, or dollars and cents for that matter. But the point you need to understand here is this is a massive amount of gold. 29 talents, 730 shekels, is over a tonne of gold. Now I did a little bit of calculating based on the gold today. You can do it very quickly by just putting it into your, your smartphone. And today, in August 2023, when I recorded this, the price of gold is £1,494 per ounce in the UK. And there are 32,000 ounces in a tonne. 
Thereby, I came up with a price for this project in terms of just the gold as over £52 million or around $60 million. I wonder what your knee-jerk reaction to that is when you hear that figure. I suspect that you, like me, thought, wow, that is a massive amount of money. The text then gives us more information. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A beaker for each man, that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone included in the numbering, from 20 years old and above, was 603,550 men. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary, the bases of the veil, one hundred sockets from the one hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels he made hooks for the pillars, laid the sockets and made bands for them. By the way, that's where I've got this figure of the children of Israel numbering roughly 600,000 men over the age of 20, which extrapolated out to about 2 million people. I've mentioned that several times earlier in our studies together in Exodus, and I said we'd get that clarified for us later, and that's where we get it here. The exact figure of 603,550 men over the age of 20 is given as the result of the census taken at that time in gathering these resources in. So all these individuals have pulled to Dick Gallagher and they've given, let's total it, over a tonne of gold and now an additional four tonnes of silver. And by the way, that's another couple of million in today's money. So what we've got so far is materials valued in the neighbourhood of £55 million or $65 million. And all we've done so far is the gold and silver. We've not included the bronze or the wood or the fine linens and of course, if we were doing this today, you would need to throw in the labour costs on top of the project and that would push the price up massively in today's terms. Anyway, the text continues and tells us the offering of bronze was given and that was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it and all the utensils for the altar the sockets for all the court all around, the bases and the court gates, and all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. So are we okay so far with that? The next thing it does is it tells us what the bronze is used for. They use the bronze that's gathered in to make the sockets for the door and the altar, and the grating and all the utensils used in the altar, and the sockets, the fixtures and fittings, if you like, create the barrier round the tabernacle area, and the bases holding it so it's secure, as well as pegs and clasps that secure the courtyard gate area and securing the fencing, if you like, all the way around. So that, there we go. What can we learn from this? What is the spiritual insight we can gain from this passage? Well, let me tell you, there are two things that come out of this passage in my estimation. Firstly, that when God wants something done, he needs three things to do it. He needs men. He needs women and he needs money. He needs people and material, which amounts in today's terms to people and money. And that's just a plain, simple reality. Now, we've talked about the fact that the people here gave willingly and they gave so willingly that we saw last time that the Lord had to finally tell them to stop giving. But I want to bring this section of the passage together by making some observation. 
about what I believe the story tells us? Well, firstly, I think it tells us something about God. The richness of the materials being used here to signify something in a sort of what we would call today a Bedouin-style culture where people lived in tents is extremely lavish. The richness of the materials signify to the nation, the people of Israel, the holiness and the glory of God. The majesty of a God who, yes, he dwells in a tent like his people, but his tent, his house is special, amazingly special. But I believe that it also signifies that he is able to provide lavishly for his own. You have to remember that all this material probably came from Egypt. Do you remember they were able to despoil the Egyptians and plunder the Egyptians, if you like, because you may remember back when we looked at the final plague on the firstborn, the Egyptians handed over their valuables to the children of Israel in an attempt to urge them to get out of Egypt to go. And it was voluntarily done. And now they have all these materials from the Egyptians, which we were told back in them God would use, and here he's using it to take all this stuff and to build his house. So when God builds his house, God is lavish. And that points to the fact, I believe, that he wants to also be lavish in what he outpours into our lives. Now, I don't want to put this too far, because it's not all about buildings. There are no doubt, given the financial situation of some churches, they spend way too much money on buildings. I do think that's true. I know of cases like that all the time. But at the same time, I would say there's nothing wrong with spending money on building or maintaining God's house, the place where you come together to worship the Lord. Every time a church builds a building or has a building project, there will always be some people who think they're spending too much money. I know people who have left churches. I know people who have left churches en masse because they believe that too much money is being spent on the building. On the other hand, I don't want to say that you should use this teaching to suggest that you should immediately start a building church and you should go out and start raising money to try and gold plate your church. I'm just pointing out that God here builds the tabernacle and when he did it then, he didn't spare the cost by the standards of that day. And apparently we will discover later, with God's approval, Solomon will build something even more expensive than this tabernacle being constructed there. In fact, there are some people who would say, it's not what you pay now, it's how many times you're going to pay for it in the future. Sometimes if you do things on the cheap today, you just end up buying the same thing over and over again. So if you're going to do it, then it's good to do it right with the right attitude of financial stewardship towards doing it. But I have one more suggestion, and I think it's almost more important than the obvious superficial thing about this construction of the building. I think it tells us something about the building, but I think it tells us something about God and God's people and the relationship that exists between those. It's entirely possible for you and I, for all of us, to dedicate our possessions to the work of the Lord, saying, in effect, I take my resources, the equivalent of my silver and gold, and not withhold it from God. They gave so much in this passage in that we see earlier that the Lord actually said, stop giving. We have enough now to do this project. So I think that tells me that on a very basic level, friends, you can never outgive God. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but just a cursory look 
at those letters of Paul and a glance at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you will see that there is a picture and a parallel being made here in the cost of building a relationship with the Lord, saying that there is a cost, but the cost of building an intimate relationship with the Lord is first of all individual and it's a spiritual cost. So what I'm telling you is if you're going to build a relationship with the Lord, it is also going to cost you. We today don't have temples made out of silver, gold and bronze and linen. It tells us that God himself now has a tent. God lives with us. God lives amongst us. God lives in us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own anymore. And what I'm suggesting to you, if you want God to feel at home in you, then that's going to cost you. Now, before I say anything else, let me just make it clear. Salvation is absolutely positively free. In fact, Romans chapter 3 says, justified freely by his grace. And that Greek word freely means without cost. It's free. All of you, all of us who have trusted in Christ, trusted in the fact that he died and rose from the dead, we have the gift of eternal life. It is a gift. It's yours. It's ours. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and it is free. Salvation is free. It is without cost. Do you get the point? It costs you nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. But on the other hand, if you want to grow or build on your relationship with the Lord, that's the part that's going to cost you. Now, we're not talking about silver and gold here. What I'm suggesting is that the building of the tabernacle is a type. It is analogous to our own building of a relationship with the Lord because that's where he dwells. That's his meeting place with us. It is there in our spirits that we approach him. And let me suggest the cost in building that aspect of our character and our nature is where we find the cost in terms of our spiritual lives as well. Look at John chapter 14, 21. And Jesus himself is saying, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I think this is actually one of the most important verses in the New Testament when it comes to understanding the benefits of the spiritual life. So are you interested in knowing what's it's going to cost you to enable God to manifest himself in you, just as Jesus describes here? Well, the cost is also described here. He says the cost is you're going to have to keep my commandments. That's the cost. I'm telling you, some people are spiritually blind as a bat to this. They know the Lord, but they know zilch, zero, about spiritual truths. Why? Because they've chosen, I'm not questioning their salvation, but they've chosen or they've carried on living their life in a way where they're not obeying the Lord. And what it tells me here is, when you obey the Lord, when you obey his commandments, when you obey his word, it's not that that guarantees your salvation as i said that was a gift that was free but in obeying the lord then he reveals his truth to you and the more you obey the more truth he reveals to you and that's what this passage is really saying look again at john 14:23 it says if anyone loves me he will keep my word 
and the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our tabernacle. That's the Greek word used here. Make our tent with him. Make our abode with him. So if you trust in Christ, from that point forward, he's living in you, right? He's tabernacling with you, right? And you you still have free will to choose on how he can live within you. Are you going to keep him in the back room? Are you going to make him stay in the background? Or are you going to say, Lord, I want you to feel at home. I want you to step into every aspect of my life. Because by doing that, that's the part that's going to cost you. And the cost is obedience. And that is a cost that can be expensive. There is a cost to building God's house, God's abode in your heart. And we are the abode of God. And the cost is simply having, by choosing to obey his commandments, having to surrender the desires and things of this world to instead doing and desiring the things that he wants us to do. Okay, I want to close by illustrating this, but I want to warn you before it that it's a humorous illustration and it's not perfect, but I do think it makes a very good point. I grew up in a place called Northern Ireland. I grew up in a rural community where I was surrounded by farms and farmers, particularly where I spent my summer. So a lot of the illustrations I heard come from that background because many of the farmers I knew were great men and women of God. The Christian faith was very sincerely followed, conservatively followed, but sincerely followed amongst the farming community I spent a great deal of my time with. And the story was of a dairy farmer who wanted to buy a new tractor. And he saw an ad in the local paper about a local farming vehicle dealership offering a discount and special prices on new tractors. So he decided it was the time to get rid of his old rust bucket of a tractor and get something new. So he went to the dealership and they showed him the new model, priced at £20,000. That probably dates this story a bit, but anyway. £20,000 just as it said within the paper. He said, I'll have it, and he was ready to write the cheque. And the salesman said, oh, wait a minute, I haven't given you the final cost yet. The farmer said, I saw the price. It was advertised in the paper, £20,000. And the farmer said, yeah, yeah, that's just the basic price for the basic model. There's all the optional extras to add on. And of course, there's extra taxes and delivery costs involved. So the farmer, well, he looked at the invoice and reluctantly paid all the extras. And including the tax, he drove off in his new tractor. Total cost, £28,900. A few months later, the salesman called the farmer and said he wanted to buy a cow because he had his own allotment space and he wanted to have a cow that grazed land and that he could get milk from. And the farmer assured the garage salesman that he had several good cows and that the cost of a cow was £500. I suspect you can see where this is going. Anyway, the salesman drove out and viewed the cows and he selected one of the cows and he took out his checkbook. And the farmer said, well, wait a minute, I haven't given you the final price yet. Then the farmer handed the salesman a bill for the cow, which was this. Basic cow, £500. Extra twin stomachs, £75 each. Milk storage compartment, that's the other by the way, £60. The straw recycling compartment, I think that's the mouth, 
£40, the four handy milk dispensers attached to the other, £10 each, the luxury leather covering, £390, the two-torn horn system, £120 extra, the automatic rear overflow outlet, £80, and the rear fertiliser dispenser, I'll let you use your imagination for that one, £290, grand total for the cow £1,670. Now I warned you that it's not a perfect illustration, because in this illustration of course the basic cow cost £500. But assume for a minute that the cow was free, but the extras, they cost, and they cost a lot. And the picture I'm trying to draw here is the fact that salvation is always free. You are saved. You get to go to heaven. No questions. Settled, sealed, secure. No doubt about it when you trust in Christ. Access to God, access to God's house is always free. But if you want the extras, the extra things like the Lord revealing himself to you, the Lord making himself known to you, revealing his truth for you, revealing his plans for your life and the life of your young ones, to see him work in your life and the life of those you care about. If you want those extras in your life, then that's going to cost you. But it's not going to cost you money, but it will cost you your time and your diligence and probably most importantly, your obedience. So like I said, there's no cost for salvation. That's free, but there is a cost for the extra benefit of knowing God and building a relationship with him. I guess the question is, do you want to settle for just the basic salvation package or do you want the extras of seeing God at work in your life? I suggest to you, my friends, that the extras are really worth paying that price for. The question, I suppose, is is having a close, real relationship with the Lord where you see him work in the everyday worth having? Is it worth the cost? I suggest it absolutely is. You can't buy God's love, you can't buy God's mercy, you can't buy God's grace, and you certainly can't buy God's forgiveness. All of that's a gift. But if you want to see the extra benefits of seeing him at work in your life, then that's going to have an extra cost. Okay, there we are. That's it for today. Thank you for joining me. I think we'll have, I did say at the beginning one, but I think we'll have two more episodes before we'll close this series off. So I'll still be posting some episodes to run us to the end of the week, and then we'll kick off next week, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, with the Gospel of Mark. We're going back and forward in each season between Old Testament and New Testament in this amazing journey together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So if you're here and you've not subscribed before, then click on the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast from, and that way you can make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And you know what? You can follow along at whatever pace it suits you. You can pick up today. You can consider going right back to the very beginning, 500-odd episodes, and just work through at whatever pace suits you. 
New episodes are posted Monday to Friday. Some people, I know, the earlier episodes tended to be a bit shorter. Sometimes are catching up by listening to a couple of episodes every day. But whatever way suits you, and it doesn't matter if it takes longer for you to work through this entire project, the important thing is that because of the people supporting it, patrons that we have, it appears very likely that this teaching, Lord willing, will remain on the internet indefinitely and I'm trying to arrange a circumstance by which it will remain there even after I'm no longer around. I'm actually 63 years old at the minute so uh, we've got quite a few years to work through this ahead but I've already plans in place of ways that this can be self-sustaining be available as a resource forever and that's all down to the fact that some people have made the decision to go on Patreon or buy me a coffee or through the website and make a commitment to just support this ministry to the tune of around £2 or $3 a month. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is that you have made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of your daily life. And that's part of the cost. This time, this investment, this dedication to studying the Word of God so that He can reveal His plan and His purpose in your life even more. So with that all said, I do hope you made the decision to come back and be with me again tomorrow. And I look forward to being with you again tomorrow. As I say, bye-bye for now from the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.